Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 7. Hi everyone and welcome back to the season finale of The Dark Paranormal. Well, we're finally here. Episode 10 of Season 7 and last week's episode, A Relentless Evil, generated the most correspondence we've received about a single episode. And I fully understand why. You see, it was last October when I first received the email from Lisa. And given the way she signed off the email in such a tantalising way, saying we may hear from the second party involved in the story, I placed it in my future use file. And there it stayed with a little red flag on it, largely out of mind. That is, until last month, when I received that second party's version of events. Reading them both back to back, it became evidently clear that this was the way we were going to sign off Season 7. Last week we heard from Lisa, whose experience with her friend Haley took us right up to the point where Haley left for our growth. And today, in the season finale, we'll find out exactly how Haley managed to rid herself of a relentless evil. For those who dip in and out of the show... Listening to last week's show is not essential, but it is highly recommended to get you up to speed. But for those who just want to get to the outcome, there will be a slight recap in Haley's experience today. And believe me, we're ending Season 7 in truly terrifying style. Of course, as is usual, whilst we prep for Season 8, we'll take our standard two-week break, meaning after today you can look forward to the launch of Season 8, coming to you on the 19th of August. However, if you can't wait that long, don't worry. We've got you covered over on Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon, not only do you receive these episodes ad-free and before anyone else, which of course means you will receive the premiere of Season 8 days before everybody else, but you can also gain access to the Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is released each and every Sunday, without fail, even on the downtime between seasons, meaning you should never miss your paranormal fix. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon, and we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com 
forward slash the dark paranormal. Just like these wonderful new team members have. Katrina Yates, Kai, Dana West, Amanda, Daisy Umpinko, Adam Shackle, Brittany Gonzalez, Jamie Goodmonson, Caroline Lynch, Scott Hooper, Sean Downing, Samantha Ellis, Leon Armstrong, Saida, Louis David, Patrick Walsh, Chantel Cullen, Amber Lutter, Jenny Grebe, Angie Siebens, Carice S, Roma America Rifkin, and Steve Rausch. Thank you so much, guys. I sincerely hope you enjoy the Dark Bites podcast, which will be out, of course, over the next two weeks when there's no Dark Paranormal. And of course, you'll hear the debut episode of Season 8 before everyone else. So if you'd like to join the team, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. And so, for the final time in Season 7, lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and of course, leave your disbelief at the door as we finally get a conclusion to last week's episode. This is evil in life, evil in death. My name is Haley. My friend Lisa sent you an email in October of last year with her take on a version of events which, well, plagued my life for a number of months and turned me into both a believer and basically an unenthusiastic expert in the paranormal. Here's Lisa's email address so you can locate the original email and compare our version of events. As you'll read in Lisa's email, the pair of us started talking again late last year and are gladly back to being firm pals once more. We didn't really talk about what happened until around March of this year, which is when Lisa told me she'd sent in the version of events from her perspective. She sent me over a copy of what she'd sent and asked whether I'd consider also documenting from my perspective, mainly the part which happened later, which she was, at that point, unaware of. I initially said no, but as this email shows, I had a change of heart on the matter. Part of me thinks someone may benefit from it. I don't know. Either way, at least, I guess or should I say, I hope, that I gained something from writing it down. Lisa's version is pretty much spot on when it comes to the majority of things. There are, however, a few small omissions which I've since discussed with her, which must have slipped her mind when writing to you. For example, when I first told her of what was happening with me, I also told her one of the scariest things I was experiencing at the time were three knocks on my front door in the middle of the night, every night. The knocks themselves would happen in rows of two, with a short break in between, meaning I was always at my bedroom window, looking into the clearly empty path, when the second lot of three would rap. Living alone and knowing I was fully awake, The act of waiting for the second set of knocking to take place always made me sick to my stomach. A horrible anxiety of impending shock. Interestingly, as I type this now and look back, the only other time in my life when I knew that feeling was when my dad was about to start drunkenly beating my mum or me. That calm before the storm where I'd have one ear to my bedroom floor, hearing the tone of the conversation gradually rise to anger. 
from what I've since learnt about the paranormal, the fact I felt the exact same way waiting for those knocks was maybe an indicator the spirit plaguing me was in fact my dad. It was my body's way of letting me know that it recognised the danger. I know Lisa covered this, so I'll be brief. But here's what led me to disappear to my Uncle Stephen's in Arbroath. Mum and I fleed from our Glasgow home to my Aunt Celia's house in Cardiff to get away from my abusive father. He'd clearly harassed someone back home and found out where we'd gone. He turned up at Celia's house, alternating between crying and apologetic to angry and violent. The police were called numerous times, either by us or the neighbours, but each time he'd have left before they arrived. Finally, one night he was clearly steaming drunk and began calling us effing bitches through the letterbox, smashing bottles in my auntie's path, shouting how we'll effing regret this, before once again driving off before the police arrived. Then we had two days of peace. He didn't show up either night. I think I knew something had happened, so I wasn't really that surprised when the police called round and said they'd found his car and his body in the nearby forest. A jogger had found him that morning, hanging from a tree. Me and my mother fell out over me not going to his funeral, and I moved out. I found a cheap terraced house to rent, and that's when my dad started to torment me. I found a true friend in Lisa, and that's why it was obvious that when it looked like he was going to start coming for her too, that I had to leave. That morning is as fresh in my mind today as it was then. Lisa headed to work, and I'd promised her I was going to contact the church to try and help but I already knew that I was going to leave. She was barely five minutes gone and I'd written a note to apologise. I put the pen down, took out my phone and called Uncle Stephen. Uncle Stephen was my dad's older brother. He'd been a bachelor all his life and lived alone in our broth. They hadn't spoken for years before my dad died. He'd once seen my dad hit me in the kitchen when my dad thought no one else would see, and proceeded to lay him flat on his arse right there. That was the last time they spoke. He had no kids of his own, and he would always say, if you're in any danger, from him, call me. But as anyone who's been through this will know, it's never that easy. You always think, well, maybe that was the last time. No point rocking the boat if it is. But it never is. Uncle Stephen even sided with me in not attending Dad's funeral. And he let my mother know it. He didn't even make the journey himself. As I had my phone to my ear, I had my full speech prepared for Stephen about why I wanted to come and stay, but it turns out, as I should have known, it wasn't needed. Hi Stephen, it's Haley. Can I come and stay with you a while? You see... Of course you can. I'll make up the spare bed right now, he interrupted. Do you need picking up, love? 
It'll take a few hours, but I can be there by this afternoon. That's Uncle Stephen for you. However, I was keen to be gone, so I told him I'd get the train and see him later that evening. I hung up the phone and then found and blocked Lisa's number. Why? Well, I knew I was in such a state that she could have very easily convinced me to stay if she said the right things, and I didn't want that. I wanted to be gone, for her sake as well as mine. Knowing she'd probably try and ring from a different number, I contacted my phone company and arranged for a new number to be set up. After what felt like the longest journey of my life, the train finally pulled into Arbroath Station in the early evening, and there was Uncle Stephen, waiting as promised by the gate. Have you ever had that feeling where your body seems to move of its own accord? Well, that's what happened. I felt my face break into tears as I threw my hyperventilating self into his arms. It felt like I was finally safe. Shh, girl, it's all right, he said, kissing the top of my head. I composed myself and pulled back, wiping the tears from my eyes. It's not Steve, I said. It's really not. We drink, my family. It's cliché the drinking Scott, but we do. We talk over drink. We bond over drink. It's completely social, and it allows us to say things that need to be said. The pub is our counselling room. I'm not saying that to be twee. I'm saying that because it's the truth. So, once my bags were in Stephen's spare room, we took a walk to his local pub. It was that feeling where both people know there's due to be a heavy discussion going down, but you both silently agree not to broach the topic until you're settled at a table and a few sips in to your first drink. Once settled, Stephen made the first move. So then, what's all this? Well, for starters, you're going to think I'm mad, I began. But... I told him everything, all in jumbled up sentences as I would go back to correct the last thing I'd said, not wanting to miss out any important details. As I spouted, Stephen didn't even blink. He just occasionally nodded, maintaining eye contact the whole time, taking the odd uncomfortable sip from his pint. So, when Lisa seen the figure last night, that brings me right up to calling you this morning. I finally finished. Stephen was silent, just nodding slowly to himself. The little bastard, he finally muttered before shaking his head. I spluttered, I I know, I know it sounds stupid, but... Nonsense, he interrupted. That'll be him all right. Evil in life, evil in death. He believed me. I could tell. Not a, oh, there, there, of course it's happening, patronising type of way, but a genuine, literal, actual belief. Firstly, I'll not have you running scared from this man for the rest of your life, so we need to sort him out. Secondly, you can stay with me as long as you want or need to. That goes without saying. Wow. I started crying again. 
when you don't have that unwavering level of belief and support in your life, it's funny how much it hits you when you get it. That evening, I got the first full night's sleep in months. The next morning, I awoke to the sound of a sizzling pan and a radio coming from the kitchen. There was Uncle Stephen cooking me a full Scottish breakfast, clearly having stocked up before my arrival. Take a seat and I'll plate you up a brekkie, he said, a tea towel shoved in his pocket. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He placed the most wonderful breakfast in front of my hungover self and I began devouring it immediately. He wiped his hands on the tea towel and smiled. Still got your appetite then. So listen, I'm off to see Father Doyle this morning. Explain our little situation with the other fella, he said, taking his coat from the back of the chair. I wiped my mouth. Okay, I muttered. What do you think he'll say? Well, Andrew's a good man, an honest fella. At the very least, he'll give us some advice. Stephen half smiled, picking up his car keys. Now you make sure to finish all of that, and I'll be back in a jiffy, he said, heading out of the back door. I watched him walk past the kitchen window and gave a deep, relieved sigh. The utter horror of the last few months felt like it was washing away from me and something resembling normality was finally. I froze. From the hallway I heard a deep growl. I slowly placed my knife and fork down. Stephen didn't have a dog that I didn't know about, did he? I slowly turned around and... nothing. Nothing in the hall. I must still be on edge, I thought. Maybe it was a dog just out... The radio screamed white noise at me from the side counter. I ran over and pulled it out at the plug, backing myself into the corner of the kitchen. Shit, it was that feeling. A circle of some sort of energy seemingly pouring in from the hallway. I ripped a page from the pad on the side and scribbled, Gone shopping, 
quickly before grabbing my coat and heading out of the back door. I circled the estate twice before finally seeing Uncle Stephen's car outside the house. Heading round the back, I glanced through the window to see Stephen and another man sat at the kitchen table. There she is, smiled Stephen as I walked through the back door. I offered a half smile back. The other man turned and smiled, his collar giving him away immediately. Hello, Haley. I'm Father Doyle. I smiled and nodded a hello. Where's your things? asked Stephen, looking confused. What things? I said, removing my coat. You went to the shop, didn't you? Oh, um, they really didn't have anything, I muttered. Both men exchanged a glance at my obvious lies. Come and sit down a moment, love, said Stephen, and I did as I was asked. So your uncle tells me you've been having things go on, said the priest. I nodded. Again the men glanced at each other. You know, continued Father Doyle, people who've experienced trauma can often find perfectly rational things, well, stop making sense. I glared at my Uncle Stephen. He immediately picked up my meaning. Father, the girl isn't making any of this up, you know, he said. No, no, I'm sure it's very real to you, at least. Uncle Stephen glanced at me. His eyebrow raised as if this line of conversation was a surprise to him. I stood and walked over to the radio. See this, I said, holding the plug in my hand. I had to pull this out before because it started going haywire just after Uncle Stephen left. The moment his back was turned, he started. The priest frowned. And by he, you mean what you presume is the spirit of your deceased father? I don't presume anything, father. I know. I felt my breath getting laboured as the adrenaline from yet again being disbelieved coursed through my body. Her father was a bad man, father. An evil man. There's no place for him in God's house. He's still here baiting the wee thing, said Stephen, nodding towards me. The priest looked at Stephen in silence for a while. Well, he said in a chirpy voice, what was your father's name? Neil, I replied. Okay, if you'd both like to close your eyes and join me in prayer. I looked at Stephen, who gave a small shrug and closed his eyes. I'd done the same. Eternal rest, grant unto Neil, O Lord, and may perpetual light shine upon him. May he rest in peace. Amen. I opened my eyes, as did Stephen. Father Doyle was smiling at both of us. You see, sometimes it's as simple. Everyone instinctively cowered. A large crash came from the spare bedroom upstairs. My bedroom. Stephen ran up the stairs two at a time with myself and Father Doyle in hot pursuit. An old, formerly sturdy mahogany wardrobe was not where it should be. The thing must have weighed more than a grown man, yet it had been pulled from its position on the right-hand wall as you entered the room and moved to the wall directly facing the door, so its back was facing out 
and its doors were jammed up against the wall. On closer inspection, although it had largely maintained its integrity, there were splinters of wood across the floor from its base, and two indentations in the wall where it now stood, where its top corners had been slammed with force into the plaster. We stood there in silence as the wardrobe lightly creaked and settled into place. Father, that wardrobe's been against that wall for thirty years, said Stephen, pointing at the faded outline of where the wardrobe had been until moments ago. Father Doyle's face was one of shock and disbelief. Christ, this house needs a blessing, Stephen. Haley, he said, turning to me, I think you need a blessing as well. This isn't right. Never was a truer thing said. Father Doyle said he would speak with his fellow clergy for advice and contact Uncle Stephen to let him know the next steps. For the next few days, nothing happened, other than both Stephen and I clearly feeling anxious about each and every noise in the house, muting the TV every time a cat called in the garden or next door made a noise. Our nerves were shattered. However, something in me still felt safe as long as Stephen was there. I genuinely believed my dad was afraid of Uncle Stephen and wouldn't attempt anything with him around. But one night, that belief died. It was a strange night from the start. All evening I was partially convinced that the static build-up was happening again, but very low so low that I was equally convinced that it must have just been my anxiety creating the entire thing. Even laying in bed that night, I couldn't quite shake it. The best way I could describe it, it was as if the entire atmosphere was like an ever-so-slightly detuned radio. Something very faint telling you all is not as it should be. I lay there, tossing and turning, finally stopping to face the wall where the wardrobe originally stood, when, in the darkness, I caught something in my periphery to my right. At first, my reaction was, what was that? I didn't move initially, as my brain quickly replayed what it might have been, and then I realised. I spun round to my back and looked towards the end of my bed. No, no, it wasn't. Was it? My chest started to tighten as my brain replayed and replayed what it had seen. What had caused such sheer visceral panic? Although only caught in my periphery, I was now sure what I had seen. It was a jet black shape, dropping from the ceiling and landing at the foot of my bed. My eyes struggled to make anything out in the darkness as they darted around the bottom of my bed. And then I saw it. Not directly. If I looked directly at it, I saw nothing, just darkness. But if I fixed my eyes a few inches from the centre of my bed, almost the centre of my periphery, there was a figure, slowly rising up from the floor at the foot of my... Get out of my house, you filthy bastard! Uncle Stephen burst in in his nightgown and threw the lights on, his fists clenched in anger. He was frantically looking around the room, 
Are you okay, love? Are you okay? He shouted at me. Come on, downstairs, now. Stephen kept looking up at the ceiling as he made us both a cup of tea in silence. I finally spoke. What happened? Stephen took a sip of his drink. I I heard a noise. I woke up. Something was on my chest. I couldn't move. His hands were shaking now as he took another sip. This black thing. It shot up through the ceiling. I just thought he was going for you next, so I tried to move, but I couldn't. Slowly I got control over myself again and ran into you. It's him, I said. He was there just before you came in, I muttered, tears welling up in my eyes. He wasn't afraid of Stephen. He wasn't afraid full stop. I was, more than I'd ever been in my life. A few days passed without event. Myself and Stephen reverted to jumping at every noise in the house, both of us deciding that sleeping downstairs, him on the couch, me on an air mattress, was the safest place to be. Then one morning, Stephen took a call from Father Doyle. Uncle Stephen listened intently. Then, when it was his chance to speak, he informed Father Doyle about what happened to us both a few nights prior. This new information apparently needed to be regaled to his clerical group, and he advised he'd call again within the hour. When Stephen finished that next call, he told me what the plan was going to be. Stephen said firstly I was to head over to the parish church that evening, where a colleague of Father Doyle's, a Father Winstanley, was going to hold a deliverance mass for me. What? Like an exorcism? I asked. No. Well, not like the ones in the films, anyway. He said it's about an hour of deliverance prayers. Himself, the deacon, and a few lay ministers will be there. No parishioners or anything, don't worry. I must admit, the idea was not a comfortable one for me. I was Catholic, but only due to being baptised. The idea of going over and acting like this was all part of my belief system, well, it just seemed a bit fake, a bit intimidating. Would it even work knowing that this was my mindset going into it? I had no idea. But at this point, I was willing to try anything. And what secondly? I asked. Oh, well, whilst you're there, Father Doyle's going to come over here and bless the house from top to bottom. He said he's talked it through with a number of clergy and they've decided this is the best course of action. I nodded, though I still felt very uncomfortable. That evening, around 7pm, I made my way to the parish church. Father Winstanley greeted me in the foyer. He led me to a pew and sat next to me. He explained how the hour would play out, so I had no surprises. Don't believe everything you see on TV, he smiled. It really is a very relaxed ceremony. Firstly, he said, I would need to take confession. Once I'd said my penance, the Mass could begin. He explained that there would be a number of deliverance prayers said, some repeated more than once. They would call on the archangels to protect me. 
At one point I would take the Eucharist, the body of Christ, and finally he would anoint me with a holy oil. I nodded as he explained, and my feeling of being a fraud and uncomfortable genuinely left me. I felt assured that this was the right course of action. Just over an hour later, and I was walking back to Uncle Stephen's house. I don't really know how to describe how I felt. Lighter? Calmer? I guess. But was that because I'd just spent the last hour basically meditating in a spiritual setting? Well, I guess I'd find out soon enough. Walking into Uncle Stephen's, I found him and Father Doyle in the kitchen drinking tea. Father Doyle's white collar was undone, and Stephen looked hyper, like he'd just stopped fighting someone. They both, however, looked satisfied and were smiling. Genuine smiles. How did it go, love? asked Stephen. Yeah, I feel good, like, I replied. He's gone, Haley," said Father Doyle. He's gone for good. How can you be so sure, I asked. The priest glanced at Uncle Stephen. Trust me, he's gone, Haley," said Uncle Stephen. So what happened here, then, I asked. Stephen pulled a what-didn't-happen sort of face, but again with a smile. We didn't need to do much, really, interjected Father Doyle. The real work happened at the church. We just dealt with the angry results of a man being forced to his consequence. We just battened down the hatches and waited it out until Father Wynne Stanley completed the mass, agreed Uncle Stephen. Father Doyle stood up and fixed his collar. He reached out and held my right hand in both of his. He's really gone, Haley. It's all okay now. Again, my body involuntarily hugged Father Doyle as my face welled up with tears. Behind him, I could see Uncle Stephen quickly wiping a tear that had somehow escaped. The next day, after a good night's sleep, and in our own rooms, I awoke to the sound of the radio and Stephen cooking me a breakfast once more. It took a few weeks, but life returned to normal. Uncle Stephen never told me exactly what happened in that house whilst I was in the church, and I never really asked. We both just reveled in each other's company, and in life in general. I got myself a job working in the local solicitors on reception, and with my first month's pay, I called a florist in Cardiff and asked them to send the best bouquet they had to my wonderful friend Lisa along with my new phone number. I hoped she'd understand why I'd done what I'd done, and thankfully, she did. A huge thank you to both Lisa and Haley for providing their own individual accounts of the same terrifying entity. I'm so pleased that we got to end Season 7 with Haley's version of events. It's the first time in the show's history that we've had two separate people reporting on the same type of entity, and therefore it allows us to get more of a 360 of the entire case. And although it's in the nature of the paranormal to often leave us with more questions than answers, I'm glad we at least got a few answers in this episode. 
So that wraps things up for yet another season of The Dark Paranormal. Don't forget, mark that date in your diary. The show will return with the debut episode of Season 8 on Friday the 19th of August. Don't forget, if you can't wait that long, then earlier that week, our Patreons will receive the exclusive premiere of Season 8. And of course, Patreon is the place to be if two weeks seems too long without a paranormal fix. Those weekly new episodes of Dark Bites every week should keep the dark light burning during the downtime. Also, remember, we've taken off the reins. Every season of the Dark Paranormal moving forward will feature your true paranormal experiences and maybe a couple of the more famous cases mixed in. So if you have a true paranormal experience that you think would suit the Dark Paranormal, email it over to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. The first half of Season 8 is already set in stone, but there is some fluidity at the back end. However, I can guarantee Season 8 is gearing up to be our best yet. So between now and that debut episode of Season 8, remember... When you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave your disbelief at the door. And I'll speak to you soon, here on The Dark Paranormal. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 